on RN Now. We're joined by one of the makers of what sounds to me like an event that would make for a great theatrical New Year's resolution. The show Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World is coming to Australia for the Sydney Festival in January 2024. Described as an ultra-modern multimedia theatre piece, it's had rave reviews in the UK and the US, including the full five stars from The Guardian. Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World is co-written and performed by Bradford Bourne and Manchester-based theatre maker Javad Alipur, and it features music and performance by Iranian-Canadian musician, writer and podcast host Ram Amami, also known as King Ram, who began his music career in the undergrounds of Tehran in the early 2000s with the post-punk band Hypernova. And I'm very pleased to say that Javad Alipur is here with us now. Javad, welcome to RN. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's great having you and great to hear about this collaboration between you and Ram Javad. As artists, you come from very different worlds. Yours is theatre and for Ram, it's music. But something that you have in common is Iranian heritage. I wonder if you could tell us first a little bit about your personal background and career that brought you to things hidden since the foundation of the world and then also a little bit about Ram's background. So yeah, thank you. As you were saying, I'm a theatre maker, filmmaker, um, sometimes journalist and uh, community organiser uh, in a slightly different part of my life from Northern England. And and Ram, my colleague, my collaborator, my friend, um, comes from, uh, you know, grew up between the US and Iran uh, in Tehran. But yeah, like you said, we both got Iranian heritage. Sometimes we describe this show as being like the funnest, most psychedelic murder mystery podcast series you've never heard of. Sold. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And at the heart of it is the story, a true story, of the unsolved murder of one of Iran's probably biggest pop stars, a guy called Fereydun Farrokhzad. He, after the revolution, like a lot of people, he has to go into exile for a bunch of reasons, partially because he is that rare thing, a Middle Eastern liberal, and partially probably because he's secretly gay. He moves to Germany where he goes from (laughs) being literally bigger than Tom Jones to being a guy who uh, works in the greengrocers, you know, to being like another sort of foreign brown refugee. And then in August 1992, he was found murdered incredibly brutally, stabbed dozens of times in his apartment. Now, the German police never solved that case, but the smart money does say it was the Iranian regime. So one of the things that brought me to this story is that if you come from a, if you've got a heritage, like, you know, it might be Middle Eastern, you might be from Latin America, you might be from somewhere like that. You're aware that there are these people who are so famous that even in really political countries like Iran, they cut across that politics. But there's something really interesting about living in a society where people don't know who that is. And I was thinking about making a show about this guy for ages. Um, Over the past few years, I've made a trilogy of plays, both Previous parts have have been to Sydney at different times. Um, A show called The Believers Are But Brothers, which was about um, online extremism and how young men joined the alt-right or ISIS. A show called Rich Kids, A History of Shopping Malls in Tehran, which was about the obnoxious lifestyles of the kids of the Iranian elite. And the third part being this show. And in a way, all those shows are about trying to understand kind of weird, technical, uh, extreme moments of politics through the lens of contemporary technology and what that does to how we process the world. So in Believers, we used instant messaging. In Rich Kids, we used Instagram. And in this show, we have a lot of fun sending up murder mystery podcasts, basically. Um, And that was one of the things that brought me to this show. And just before the pandemic in uh, 2020, I was in New York at a theatre festival. And Ram, you know, my, my colleague, my friend, my collaborator, 
he had just left Iran for reasons that we can go into. He Most of his career as a musician had been in Iran, really. He just left Iran because of ter- the terrible repression that his family had faced. So his father was a very uh, famous um, environmental campaigner. He was campaigning against the degradation, the horrific degradation of the envir- Iranian environment which is for sure a result of general man-made climate change, but that's accelerated by the intense corruption and authoritarianism of the Iranian regime, right? And Aram's father had become very, very famous as a defender of the environment. And this had brought him into contact with the kind of people, who, the kind of men largely who will do anything to defend their, their power and their money. He was arrested, he was put in solitary confinement, he was uh, tortured, and then he was killed. Because of that, Ram and his family had to try and uh, leave Iran as best they could. And as a result of this, Ram was in New York doing a uh, residency at the Kennedy Center, I believe, which was trying to commission work from like uh, artists who were fleeing, who were refugees in some ways. And like, as if I'm aware that this makes me sound like a bit of a sort of artsy cliche, but a mutual friend of ours introduced introduced us to each other in a bar near the public theatre, which is like probably the most cheesy international arts way I can phrase that. <laughs> and it led to this great friendship and great collaboration. Yeah. And we started talking about this project and, and Ram was, you know, you're talking about Ram being a musician and that's, that's absolutely true. And that's his background, but he'd always collaborated with theater makers in, in Iran. You know, that's one of the ways Iran is a country with very v- rigorous censorship. So that means peculiar things happen to art. So sometimes if people want to make experimental theater, they say it's a traditional music concert. If sometimes, you know, when they file to get the paperwork, if you want to put on a rock gig, like a you know a punk gig or a kind of alternative rock gig like Rams work, you might say it's a spoken word or theatre gig, and do scenes of really traditional conservative theatre, and then just put songs on in the middle of it. Ah. Um, and so he'd always be he'd kind of been in this multi art form weird space. And so when he was in America, he he was exploring ways of trying to talk about the the, the story of his family. And I, we were, we were talking and drinking, and you know he saw he saw one of our shows, and I I, I sort of knew his music from before. And it just struck us how there was really interesting parallels between what he'd been through and this story we wanted to explore. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the the cultural impact of Feridun Farakazad uh, in terms of, say, you're someone who's grown up in Britain, but with an Iranian background. What did you know of him as a performer? And what did Ram know of him? Is that something that, say, Iranians anywhere in the diaspora could unite over because of the sheer scale of his popularity? That's absolutely right. I mean, I do say to people like, you know, we have a lot of fun in this with this show in it, as I was saying to you, like, it, you know, it's, it's about some meaty political things, but it's also quite funny, right? So there's a send up of murder mystery podcasts. There's definitely, there's a whole send up of, if you like, um, trying to explain one culture's um, kind of uh, uh, famous artifacts in terms of another culture and so on. And, but having said all that, the, the easiest way for me to say it to you is telling an Iranian there is a show on about Fareidun Farrokhzad is a bit like telling a European or an Australian, I would have thought, or an American, you know, that uh, and there's a show on about Tom Jones or there's a, show on, there's a show on about Abba. You know, it's that level that it cuts across which side your family took on the, in the civil war or which, you know, th- this kind of thing. And that's, that's, I think, a really interesting thing about pop culture, right, that it, that it does that. Obviously, that's something that both you and Ram could speak to uh, personally and in a theatrical mode. But I suppose talking also about the experience that Ram's 
father had and what happened to his family was something that you've processed theatrically at the time when it's still very raw for Ram. How did you go through the process of deciding to confront that in a stage production? As an artist, I'm someone who believes that we have responsibilities. I don't want to make say make the work we uh, make sound dry, but I think there are responsibilities that we have. Um, and Ram and I, I think, share this view. I, I think that we would say that um, you know art has to be compelling. It has to be fun. It has to have a drive to it. All that. But it also has, in a very complicated way, the responsibility to tell the truth. And I think, um, you know, Ram and I have spoken about this a lot. And I think he'll sometimes talk about, like, having a space where he can kind of tell the truth about what's happened. And, of course, that's the truth in a, in a, in a you know, in a complicated way. Because as artists, the way we approach truth is mediated, right? You know, we decide what to say in exactly what, what way, at what time, and so on. But I think especially with both of us as Iranians... And especially seeing all the news from Iran in the past past year or two, you know, it's become clear to us that those, you know, we've got, you know, Ram grew up between Iran and the West. I speak Persian, do you know what I mean? Like I'm very connected, we're both very connected to that kind of, that part of the world. And then when you see the absolute sense of commitment and the incredible, incredible bravery with which largely young people, people who uh, are fired up members of the kind of proto-civil society of Iran or the artistic community of Iran or the, the young women involved in the kind of movement against compulsory hijab. When you see the way those people, what they put on the line for a sense of freedom and ability to tell the truth, you know, one feels that responsibility even harder than before. And I, I think, you know, we're living through a moment in the world right now when some very, uh, some values that we used to take for granted, you know, that we used to think everyone agrees that these values are good, right? Like um, the idea that we slowly over the course of years, more people are being welcomed to the party, that, that let's say diversity is broadly a good thing, that like women's rights and rights of minorities should increase, that freedom of speech is absolutely a good thing. These things are more and more under threat all around the world, you know, um, and it's one of the reasons why we chose to make this show. At the end of the day, someone like Fredun Fadrosad was murdered in Germany, not in Iran, in a country that, uh, you know, what happened to Ram's family happened in Iran. But uh, with Fadrosad, he was he was killed in Germany. Germany is a country not too much like unlike Australia, not too much unlike England. And actually, the murder of Fadrosad isn't a historical story. It's the beginning of something. Over the 30, 40 years since his death, it's become easier and easier, actually, for dictatorships like Iran, like the Chinese regime, like the Saudi regime, like the, the Nigerian regime, to target their dissidents, even in so-called more democratic countries. You know, there's a feeling now for some of those dissidents that you can leave the dictatorship, but the dictatorship won't leave you. Yes, and that's something that's uh, happened in Australia as well, when the um, protests in Iran were happening last year, and it's been covered on background briefing on RN. Is that something that you hear back from audiences of things hidden since the foundation of the world, those with connections to Iran, uh, Javad, that, that uh, activities that uh, people in the diaspora undertake are still very much the subject of surveillance and response from the Iranian regime? No, that's absolutely true, mate. And we do, you know, my work is, uh, sits in a place which is kind of uh, between documentary and fiction. So we take a lot of the research we do very seriously. And I would offer that, um, it, you know, it's, that doesn't, yes, I've heard that. And yes, I've talked to dissidents facing that. But we can also look at the really, you know, amazing kind of investigative journalism that's happened around that. So 
you know, what I would say to, say to people is, um, so people, for reasons that are probably really obvious, being a talented Iranian journalist is not a great idea if you live in Iran. It's just not a great way. It's not a sustainable life choice, let's say that. So talented Iranian journalists leave and they work for Persian language uh, services of foreign news agencies, for instance, BBC Persian, uh, Deutsche Welle Persian, Radio for Europe Persian and so on. BBC Persian's offices are in London. Over the, the past year, um, The Guardian and the FT have done a bunch of um, uh, reports on how BBC Persian journalists in London, in London have been receiving consistent what the... Metropolitan Police would call actionable death and rape threats from, get the, check this, from mobile phone numbers and emails that are registered and have IP addresses in the UK. Mm. So those people who are threatening them in this way with these actionable threats are based in the UK. On RN, we are speaking with Javad Alipur, who's the co-writer and one of the performers of Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World, which is coming to Australia for the Sydney Festival. Javad, everything that you do is underwritten, I suppose, by the nine-point manifesto of your theatrical company. Uh, we can't cross-check all nine of the points of the manifesto in this interview, but I wonder if you could speak a little bit about something that you've already alluded to, which is that point number nine, that even though you talk about contemporary politics and very important issues about racism, colonialism, you also have a commitment to things being fun. Where does that come from for you, Javad, and how does it play out in terms of things hidden since the foundations of the world? Uh, thank you. That's a really great question. I mean, um, some of that comes from, look, we, we wrote this manifesto when I kind of, um, if you like, founded the company. Um, it's I, you know, it's called the Javad Alipur Company. We produce my work. I will sometimes, I would be the first to admit, it's not the most imaginative name that anyone's ever given a theatre company. But, but it makes clear what's going on, I suppose. Exactly. It, it does what it says on the tin, as they say in the marketing world, right? Uh, you know, we, we were thinking about what, um, how to sort of, communicate what it is that we were trying to do and there's a, there's a few i think um arts organizations arts producers who are look, looking at that sort of manifesto style of thing that comes you know from groups like uh, you know dogma in the cinema or i suppose the dadaist in visual art or this kind of thing and um when we were putting the manifesto together there's a whole bunch of stuff in it that was about politically how we see the world what we think the responsibilities of artists are all this like serious and important stuff but then it sort of strikes me like, what is the point of, you know, I am quite a political person, but a part of me that is a political activist is different to the part of me that's an artist who makes makes art about politics, right? And I always say this to people, I say, one of the things about, uh, about fun is that it's about exploring things. It's about not knowing what the answer is. If there's a political issue in the world and I know what the answer is, I do not write a play about it. That's absolutely <laughs> not what happens. Um, I might I might write an article, you know, occasionally write bits on Middle Eastern politics, like for the independent, you know, I might try and place a place, place an article with them. Or I might knock on your door and ask you to vote a certain way in an election if I know what the answer is. If I don't, then that can be a sort of creative and exploratory thing we can do together. In terms of this show, Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World, I'd say that the job of this show and the job of all of this trilogy of, 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 of quite political plays that we made 
is not to like, you know, there's a cliche and an old fashioned way of thinking about political art, especially political theatre, where it's very dour. And it's about you learning something or feeling like you've become a better person because of what you've been through or whatever. But look, at the end of the day, like, you know, my I'm, I've been lucky that my work has toured around the world. Now I've been to Australia a few times, Europe, America. And I know that my audience, the people who come and engage with our work are savvy people, people who care about stuff already. So even if I wanted to do, I can't teach them anything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think what I can do as an artist is I can take something that people felt was just connected to them vaguely and intellectually. Do you know what I mean? And I can and I can attach it to their guts and their heart and make them feel a part of it and realize their own power and how that it's part of their everyday life. And I think that's in a way using um, kind of uh, psychedelic visuals and send-ups of murder mystery podcasts and big old musical numbers from the 1970s is a pretty interesting, and I would say, dare I say it, a fun way to do that. Well, as I said earlier, absolutely sold from my perspective. It sounds fantastic and it's coming to Sydney. It's things hidden since the foundation of the world. Just one final question I feel I do need to ask, Javad, in your manifesto as well. Another element is that everything you do will have some sort of participatory or interactive element. And I know that there will be some potential audience members out there in whom that will strike genuine fear. So I just think it would be helpful if you could tell us what are the participatory or interactive elements and can audience members come in comfort knowing that they won't be too challenged on the participation front? Yeah, of course, they absolutely can. Um, so uh, this trilogy of shows we, we, we've made, um, as I was saying, that they're kind of looking at politics, but also technology. And some of the technology we look at in this show, as I say, are kind of murder mystery podcasts, but also Wikipedia and the structure of data on the internet. So we have a whole load of fun with people in the audience who want to volunteer, basically. You know, you know, there is there is no um No dragging people down onto the stage. Exactly. No dragooning of people <laughs> into formation. Whatever. Probably be inappropriate in, in a show about the totalitarianism of Iran to then dragoon people. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> a, a series of quite uh, on the nose metaphors about how those countries work, right? <laughs> yeah. The show is Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World. It's presented at the Sydney Opera House by the National Theatre of Parramatta from the 19th to the 21st of January. And it's co-written and performed by our guest, Javad Alipur. Javad, thank you so much for speaking with us on RN. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. And as I mentioned earlier, Javad's collaborator on Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World is Iranian musician Ram Amami, also known as King Ram. Let's finish up with a little bit of King Ram's song Hunter, which around the time of Iran's 2009 Green Movement was used within the country in a video that honoured the Green Movement protesters.
Take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.